Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Vince Campisi. Vince is the Chief Digital Officer and Senior Vice President of Enterprise Services at Raytheon Technologies, a nearly $60 billion revenue multinational aerospace and defense conglomerate. He oversees the company's digital technology strategy and several global business services designed to reduce enterprise risk, optimize operating efficiency, enable business growth, and maximize outcomes for employees, suppliers, and customers. Vince came into this role after Raytheon's merger with United Technologies, where he had been the chief digital officer. Vince has led a remarkable digital transformation across Raytheon, and I look forward to speaking with him about it. Vince, welcome back to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Great to see you as well. In today's unpredictable environment, long-term success rarely comes by chance. Thriving organizations are able to rapidly respond to whatever comes their way, be secure in the face of ever-evolving threats, and identify opportunities for ongoing innovation. How do CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs like you power these outcomes? It starts with a strong data platform. That's why over 90 of the Fortune 100 companies use Splunk. Splunk's extensible data platform powers full-stack observability, unified security, and nearly limitless custom applications. The result? They unlock innovation, improve security, and drive resilience. Check out Technovation episode 630, where I spoke with Splunk's president of products and technology, Sean Bice, about what it takes to unlock innovation in this unpredictable world. And to find out more about Splunk, visit splunk.com slash why. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Cisco, and the company's chief information officer, Jackie Gushalar. As we enter a time of hybrid work environments, Jackie wanted to take a moment to share how companies can stay ahead of this emerging trend and make informed decisions on the future of work. Jackie, over to you. Hi, this is Jackie Guchula, SVP and CIO of Cisco. Today, we're at a unique time in history with the ability to redefine work. Work is no longer where you go, it's what you do and how you do it. And it is powered by the convergence of people, technology and places. It's permanently reshaping expectations of both employees and employers alike. To navigate this changing landscape, Cisco's Hybrid Work Index can help you make informed decisions by providing global insights on people's preferences, habits, and technology use in the era of hybrid work. It's based on millions of global data points and insights to help you win the war for talent, accelerate your innovation, and enhance business safety and security. Search Cisco Hybrid Work Index to learn more. Thanks, Jackie. And now on to our broadcast. Well, Vince, uh, you are the uh, Chief Digital Officer and SVP of Enterprise Services at Raytheon Technologies. And Raytheon Technologies is a really vast conglomerate. Probably most uh, listeners would have heard of it, but uh, it probably is also worth giving a little bit of an overview of the business. So maybe take a moment, if you would, and, and describe it for, for us. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'll shorthand it as RTX. That's our stock ticker. So um, you know, at the end of the day, our mission statement is all about a safer, more connected world. That's that's the backdrop of who we are and what we do. We serve two broad markets, right? So we're a pure play aerospace and defense company. One is the aerospace market. So our customers there would be aircraft manufacturers like a Boeing or an Airbus. And then ultimately the end consumer is the airlines that we all know and love and use, you know, for our own personal travel. Supporting that, we've got two units. Uh, one is Pratt & Whitney, they make aircraft engines. Uh, so I think that's a pretty straightforward product that most people would get their head around quickly. And then our Collins Aerospace Division really handles tip to tail, right? So upfront cockpit, every other critical system on the aircraft. And so that's half of our portfolio. 
The other is around uh, supporting defense, right? So our U.S. government would be a major customer of ours, as well as all the allies around the world. And in that segment, we're generally talking about things that protect the warfighter. So that would be missile and defense systems, but that would also be intelligence and space systems. So uh, you know that ranges from a whole host of capabilities that are designed to uh, protect the world as we know it. So that's that's a bit about RTX and, and the portfolio of businesses uh, you know within the company. Great. Uh, and you came to RTX by virtue of the company's merger with United Technologies, where you had been uh, prior to uh, the successful merger, which I believe concluded in April of 2020. Um, yeah. what, what was the rationale for the combination? And uh, maybe if you wouldn't mind providing a little bit of context, how has the integration gone so far? Yeah, well, the last time we tagged up, a lot has changed. Yes, and, exactly. <laughs> you know, the adage goes, you, you don't have to change companies. There's so much change happening around you. And so Shortly after we connected, I think it was probably 2018, we did one of the largest aerospace acquisitions at the time, acquiring a company called Rockwell Collins, and that created that division I spoke of, of Collins Aerospace. And then in 2019, we announced the divestiture and the spinoffs of Otis Elevators and Carrier Heating and Cooling. So those became two standalone companies in their own right, which were formerly part of United Technologies. And on the same day, not to, uh, you know, kind of, try and challenge ourselves, we we did a merger of equals. Um, and that was bringing together the aerospace parts of United Technologies with Raytheon Corporation. And so uh, on April 3rd, 2020, we relisted four companies on the New York Stock Exchange. So, you know, four tickers changed uh, all in one day because of an amazing group of people doing a lot of hard work that I would consider sort of first of its kind. Yeah, very interesting. And I mentioned at the outset that you are the chief digital officer and head of enterprise services for the company. Talk a bit about, uh, so it seems like two sides of uh, what's described in terms of your responsibilities. Describe those if you would. Yeah, sure. You know, as a chief digital officer for the company, uh, we're generally you know focused on what you would expect, right? This is about securing and protecting the company, having a resilient digital infrastructure. This is things like cloud computing and you know, collaboration capabilities for employees. This is all about how do you provide the right technology to support business processes. These are generally where you find, you know, all of that sort of ERP technology and those sorts of things. Data architecture, a company like us, analytics is a huge part of what we do and how we perform. And then ultimately, and hopefully we'll have a chance to talk about it, the capstone of that is we talk about it as creating a digital thread. How do you ultimately reimagine the speed in which and how we create the technologies that we create and how we bring them to market faster and of higher quality. The other part is, you know, when you talk about enterprise services, this is really how do we leverage the power of the portfolio that we have and look for economies of scale across the company. And so I would summarize that in two ways. One is this is really how we digitize and operate shared service capabilities like HR, finance, procurement. And so that's part of our organization because we see an opportunity to really digitize it and automate it. And we've got a goal to drive 5 million hours of productivity through the use of automation uh, by 2025. And we're, you know, we'll probably finish this year halfway on the path of that goal. And the second is, you know, we've got probably an 80 million square foot real estate portfolio and as you would imagine right now, every company is reimagining, hey, what's the role of our facilities? How are we going to enable collaboration in new ways? And, 
And that's a part of the mission of the team is how do we optimize that footprint, but also how do we make it more impactful to support employees in light of the fact that we're all going to be working significantly different, differently than we were just a couple of years ago. So that's a little bit about you know the team and uh, what we focus on. That's great. I would love to go back to the point you re- you raised as the capstone of uh, your responsibilities, creating a digital thread, as you put it, reimagining the speed with which we bring technology to market. Talk mm-hmm. a bit about the what that entails, uh, uh, the the methods that you're using. Uh, to talk a bit about that digital thread in greater detail, if you would. Yeah, I mean, when you think about our customers, they are generally trying to figure out a technology that's going to give them a significantly competitive advantage and really redefine what they're trying to accomplish. And the world we now live in is a world where everyone is specking out what a solution might look like, and then they're providing it to us in a digital context. And so now we're competing on the basis of that model that they're providing us of what they want us to make. No longer are the days where we build a prototype, then metal, you know, and then a long time later, come back and show that prototype working. We now do it in a virtual fashion where we're doing virtual design simulation. We're competing on the basis of what our simulations and models can demonstrate. And then we move to the stage that says, okay, let's invest behind that and let's go create that. And so it takes risk out of it for both parties where we are getting smarter about what we want to make and what we should expect of its performance before we have to do significant rounds of investment and significant durations of time to to decide, is that really going to achieve what the customer is looking for? So that's, that's the upfront of the digital thread, the upfront sort of design speed simulation. And uh, we've got examples where we've got products that every night are, you know, are running their own simulations, flying 6 million miles over the course of an evening to figure out how it can optimize itself and how it performs under certain conditions and keeps getting smarter every day thereafter. Vince, you, you talked about the, the way that your team helps bring to life the ability to uh, take what was typically a prototype process, a physical prototype that would be uh, developed in the various uh, parts of the business that you described a moment ago, uh, one that would be presumably be very costly uh, and where a lot of rework would be necessary and so forth, and now rendering it virtually. And it strikes me, you know, having spent an awful lot of time personally uh, with Silicon Valley uh, companies, software-based organizations, that um, the concept of an MVP, a minimum viable product, uh, which I have to imagine historically in your industry, perhaps your company, was, was a concept that was anathema for the risks implied by, just by that term, that now you can actually do the same thing. You can get to an MVP virtually, test it, find out where the where the issues are, uh, have the intended users uh, play around with it and provide feedback and continue to course correct and improve along the way in, in a much uh, a much less expensive and, and perhaps a, a much, a, a, a presumably a much faster uh, way as well to get to uh, greater confidence of success. Uh, talk a bit about that. I mean, is that hypothesis correct? I assume, uh, but, yeah. but talk a bit about sort of like uh, some of the ideas behind it as well. No, I, I think it's spot on. Right when you talk about minimally viable, you know, now we are actually in a position where we can digitally create that minimally viable capability, which enhances the understanding between us and the customer. Here's what it will, won't do. Here's what it can and can't do. And ultimately reduces the risk of, hey, look, before you're making big investments, you're still in a, in a purely simulated scenario and you're testing the parameters of what you can't do. 
and you're iterating MVPs in a virtual world. Now, we expect and we have seen examples where that takes the cycle time down by 30%. Um, now, it, it also makes you smarter, more clear about what are you going to build and what are the limitations of what you can and can't build and how that affects the performance of what you're hoping for. And so there's a, you know, so one, MVPs are absolutely alive and this helps us bring them to life faster. Two, the principles around engineering still hold true. So the safety protocols that we expect, the quality that we expect, this actually enhances it. And there's a concept called the engineering V, which is you've got systems of systems that you're integrating and testing back and forth to go down the V and back up it again. This enables you to do iterations and simulations and MVPs, if you will, down the V, across it, and as you go back up it. So you see that gain in cycle time to bring a product to market going down by an example up to 30%. The cost to manufacture going down by in many cases, 10, 20, 30% while protecting the integrity of quality and product performance. And quite frankly, you're actually de-risking it to some degree because you're getting smarter as you're designing and making it. So I, I think you nailed a very important point of what the digital threat enables in the form of being able to do minimally viable, you know, prototypes along the way. In an organization as large and complex as the one that you described at the outset of our interview, how, how do you think about what's done commonly versus those things that naturally need to be bespoke or, or uh, one-off solutions for a specific business of yours? I, I can only imagine the complexity, although one you've been grappling with for quite some time is you've worked for a, a series of conglomerates, GE before UTC, for example. But talk, talk a bit about uh, that thought process, if you would. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're two years young, right? So this is, um, you know, most employees are at the front seat of not only our industry, but like who we are as a company. Um, but what I found, you know, when you talk about some of those examples of changing the portfolio and the speed of which we did it, when you have very clear goals and a very clear mission, it, it helps you make decisions quickly and make decisions in support of that mission. And so, to your question, I would say we've got very clear goals of what we're trying to do to bring technologies together. When you think about hypersonics, you're at the end of the day, you're trying to produce a product that's going to be able to you know, fly at five to 10 times the speed of sound. And across our portfolio, there are technologies around the company that if we bring them together, will enable us to do that. And so now we're always trying to balance how do you help make sure our businesses are responding to the needs of their customer in a very versatile and fast and efficient way, but also mindful of the capabilities that exist in the company that can be brought together to solve that customer's needs. And so that's one facet is how do we bring more capabilities to market faster and make sure employees, you know, we've got 60,000 engineers in the company, how do we make sure they can communicate, collaborate and share technology efficiently? The other part is, hey, at the end of the day, we are trying to drive savings as a result of you know, being a pure and focused aerospace and defense company. And that's where we look at, hey, what is something that's more repeatable, less specific to the industry or the customer base? And then is there a more effective and efficient way for how we maximize it throughout the RTX portfolio to get what we need at the speed we want and with the efficiency we expect? 
Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, an executive is only as good as the team he or she has around them. And this has been a complicated time, to say the least, with uh, the great resignation, as some have called it. Uh, a lot of people just rethinking their relationship with work, especially in light of the pandemic and, and all that it's kind of wrought, this grand experiment that's been forced upon all of us. Uh, talk a bit about how you've thought, especially over the course of the past couple of years, um, you know, curating a team to bring to life what you've described. Yeah, I mean, we have been blessed with um, a workforce and a team of employees that are doing amazingly, you know, challenging work, innovative work. Um, and we, you know, we're, uh, I think our CEO's, you know, statement around that is companies don't innovate, people do. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's becoming more and more important on the purpose and mission of the company, Right? Do employees understand the impact that, that their work plays in what they read about in the news or what they sort of experience and see day to day? And I think our employees have, have great affiliation and great context on the importance of their work and what it means to the world. The second part of it is they also want to see their work fielded at a pace where they, you know, their contributions result in the changes they want to see in the world and the changes they want to see in the company. And so that's one of the amazing parts of, I said, we're two years young. Everybody right now is part of defining this new company. Now you'd, you'd probably you know, you'd laugh at me and say, we're, we're a big startup, but I mean, we have a lot of those attributes right now. We are doing a lot of things within the company for the first time and defining things that are going to you know, be what employees 10, 20, 30 years from now experience are going to be because of decisions that this team's making right here, right now, today. Um, and then the last to your point is, uh, when you think about diversity, equity, inclusion, you think about sustainability, you think about the things that really matter personally and in our communities, uh, those are things that we take seriously. And those are things that, you know, we are trying to, you know, make sure uh, we have a company that reflects the world we live in. Um, we are making sure everybody's balancing personal and professional life right now in light of what's going on. How do we create that flexibility and how do we take the voice of our employees to define the culture we want to have and the way we want to work? And, and that those are the things that are going on right here, right now. And those are the reasons why I think we'll continue to see examples where I was talking to someone on my team, her two kids work for the company, one's joining like a finance leadership program this year. And that's something that's not out of the norm for RTX. And that's something we'll want to continue to see is that generational affiliation with the company. Oh, interesting. Gosh, yeah. Unusual, but wonderful. Um, I, I'm also curious, you alluded to it in your description of the business that you are a, yours is a networked business of a, of a kind. Um, and, and there's really an ecosystem that surrounds RTX. Uh, I mean, you think about the complexity of what you've described as the business. Uh, no doubt, it's it, you need to bring a variety of partners to the party, so to say, to deliver all you've described. And I wonder, especially as the digital leader, um, how do you think about that concept of ecosystem and how, how to, as, again, speaking of curation, how you think about curating the partnerships that you're leveraging uh, in order to accomplish the speed you described, uh, yeah. among other advantages of doing that well? Yeah, I mean, this is a team sport, right? And we have amazingly bright people in the company that can challenge the laws of physics, right? They literally do. I mean, you've got rocket scientists in the company, um, but we can't do it alone, right? And there's amazing innovation happening outside of our walls. And so we look at it across a spectrum. We actually have an outreach to start up. So we, you know, we in, in, um, 
engaged with over 200 startups last year because we know there were people who were approaching problems that we find important in unique and novel ways. And so we have a way in which we maintain relationships to get smart and stay connected to that speed and velocity of innovation that's happening. And then we've you know, got big partnerships with the, you know, the, the logos that you would expect um, to really you know, redefine uh, how we reimagine the portfolio of the company, including things like, hey, we're going to go to 50% cloud-based um, by the time we get out of 2023. If you were to talk to either of these companies five years ago, cloud would have been blasphemy. And you know, now we'll be over 50%. And we announced a big strategic partnership on how we're going to make that transition. So that's the spectrum. It's it's a team sport, and we are trying to stay connected with everybody who's uh, trying to same, solve the same types of challenges we are. And I, 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 you're, so innovation is a thread that certainly is pulled through this conversation. The extraordinary things, uh, groundbreaking things, uh, some, some of them uh, really kind of dreaming up the future, as you talked about. The, one of the advantages an employee has today is they're going to be dreaming up the things that this, this organization will be proud of decades from now as well. Um, how do you think a little bit about how do you think about the innovation process more generally speaking? Uh, you know, if you're batting a thousand, you're not innovating. So there needs to be a d- degree of risk tolerance. Uh, you need to bring people onto the team who are are excited about uh, going into the unknown and and exploring a bit, while, while also making sure that the direction in which they are pursuing innovation supports the strategy, the mission that you referenced. Uh, of the organization as well. Talk, maybe provide, if you wouldn't mind, a bit of the philosophy that you 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 have at least when it comes to determining how best to innovate and where to innovate. Yeah, yeah, I would I would offer two two um, two scenarios. One, we were actually having a goal setting conversation with my staff yesterday, and one of the conversation points was, "Hey, should we be setting a goal that we anticipate achieving one hundred percent of, or should we be setting a goal where we know we won't achieve one hundred percent of it?" And it would be amazing if we got to 70%. So one is, you know, setting those ambitious expectations and, you know, knowing that you are trying to, you know, get farther than you think you can in the time that you have. And so for me, innovation is born between a gap between, you know, resources and ambitions. And and that's where innovation forms to solve that gap. Um, the second part is actually like where you put your money and, it, you know, are you putting your money where your mouth is? And so we look at a philosophy of like 70, 20, 10, right? 70% of our investment should be on things that we can take advantage of and produce results here and now. 20% should be within our planning horizon next, you know, three to five years. But then we always have, you know, focus and, and capacity dedicated towards the moonshots, right? The things that being ready for um, the things that we aren't thinking about today, but knowing what they might look like and what the capabilities might be required to make them possible. So that's a little bit of allowing people to have the ambition and and not holding them accountable to like only what you can measure, but leaving space for them to aspire to be able to do more and making sure you're backing it with the capital to allow that to happen. Really great. I, I um, you you mentioned briefly in your description of your responsibilities. Uh, the data component of this. And I wanted to dive, dive a little bit further into that, if you wouldn't mind, Vince. So data, of yeah. course, is such a prominent topic, especially among the CDO, CIO, CTO community, the tech, not tech and digital leaders of major organizations. But one that uh, many companies are at different rungs of the ladder in terms of their maturity. 
uh, in terms of harnessing it appropriately. And there's a lot of complexity there as most companies have an ocean of data uh, to, to potentially leverage. And so uh, oftentimes it's, it's, um, it's a mixed metaphors, finding a needle in the haystack uh, yeah. in terms of the insights themselves. Uh, I realize it's a broad topic, but maybe you know if there's a means of simplifying it a little bit. How do you think about uh, you know developing a, a sound data strategy to you know kind of parse through that 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 uh, significant amount of d- data to to make better decisions? Yeah, it's it's like finding a needle in a in a haystack of needles. So <laughs> you know, I, I would say two things. I would say most importantly, like what are the outcomes we're looking for? Um, one of the most vivid examples I give is trying to predict when something's going to fail before it will fail. And we have a lot of analytics behind how do you reduce unplanned downtime? When you think about the mission, a lot of our products serve, you, know, you always want to know it's ready to perform at the push of a button. And so we do a lot on being able to better predict um, before. Underneath that, we are a complicated company, as you mentioned, and you know there's data everywhere. And so we are trying to be thoughtful about how do you create an ecosystem and interoperability that allow people to understand what data exists, how to get access to it, what access are you allowed to have to it, but create an environment where you've, you, know, you actually have that federated environment. You acknowledge the fact that data exists in a lot of different places. You always want to try and have like less surface area as much as possible and, and consolidate to make it easier. But realistically, you know, you want to get insights here and now and the time that it takes to simplify and bring it all to where you want it to be, where that's what we are actively working on is how to make it faster, easier to be able to produce insights that you have high confidence in, realizing the data landscape is not what we would want it to be right here, right now, and have a North Star where we want it to be, but we have to be able to unlock the types of outcomes I shared along the way. So it probably doesn't quench the thirst of, you know, we're all trying to figure this out, but it at least gives you the spirit of like how we're trying to figure it out and maybe the the kind of the components of it. Yeah, no, I like that. Thank you. Thank you for that, uh, that, that overview. Uh, we've already talked to no- about a number of trends that uh, RTX is taking advantage of, but I wanted here at the conclusion of our conversation to see if there are any others that that particularly excite you. You talked about the the twenty and the ten portion of your investments that are each of them uh, forward looking, one a lot further than the other. The ten percent, the moonshots that you reference, you know, as you as you think about some of the things that are coming down the pipeline, uh, trends you're beginning to leverage or or that you're just starting to investigate. What are some of the things that really excite you now, Vince? There's a lot of analogs what's going on in auto um, that, that is coming to aerospace, electrification. And when we look at, as things become more electric, they become more intelligent, they become more digital. Software becomes such a big driver of the value prop of what the product can, can't do, or what might be possible beyond. So uh, that's going to be a big part of how we think about um, aerospace. You know, we talked a bit about digital thread and, and the importance of, of simulation. There's also a huge component of autonomy and intelligence. You know, a lot of our products have a lot of embedded intelligence within them. And so how we get smarter and more capable around the role of autonomy in many of the things that we do is going to continue to be big. And then a safer, more connected world. I mean, digital technology is so implicit in that where this is not only about how do you make an aircraft more efficient or how do you protect the warfighter uh, more effectively. It's now the fact that you're managing the entire ecosystem of the airspace and how do you actually optimize the overall network 
or when you're talking about a battlefield, how are you making sure it's fully connected so that every asset's aware of what's going on and able to perform and operate as a system? So those those on you know more connected and more intelligent autonomy electrification those are really big themes and everything I described about what we're trying to do with digital technology underpins our ability to be successful in those spaces. That's a great overview. Well, Vince Campisi, thank you for a really dynamic conversation, representative of a remarkable time in the the history of this relatively new company, at least that's in its current form, as you point out, and some of the really interesting opportunities that you and the team are tackling uh, at present as well. It's, it's been really insightful. Thank you. Great to spend some time with you, Peter. Enjoy the games this weekend and uh, look forward <laughs> to connecting again soon. I do as well. Good luck to your bills. Likewise. <laughs>